One of the great strengths of FT Strategies and DFT, but I can speak more confidently about my team, is it's a very diverse team. And I'm so proud and protective of that. This is The Talent Show, a new podcast series from FT Talent, a hub of innovation from the Financial Times. It's hosted by under-30s for the under-30s around the world. This second series is about all the aspects the FT organization is covering today, from editorial to development, from data to talent. I am Virginia Stagni, and this is a guide we designed to inspire you to be the one driving innovation and change. Welcome to the show. All right, another episode of our talent show here at Bracken House, One Friday Street. And today I'm super excited because I am sharing the desk of a podcast studio with a person I worked uh, with for a little bit, but uh, has always been very inspiring for me. And uh, here at the FT has really uh, done great stuff, astonishing. And uh, you'll find out why I'm so excited about Tara joining us. She is the managing director of FT Strategies and um, a fantastic woman, part of the Financial Times. How are you, Tara? Thank you, Virginia. I am fine. I am very excited to be here. And thank you for those very kind words. Tara is, uh, of course, one of the leaders here at the Financial Times. She is, uh, as I said, heading FT Strategies, and she's going to tell us a bit more what FT Strategies is all about. But what is so interesting about, uh, to me, about FT Strategies is uh, that it is uh, a startup within the Financial Times. But before joining uh, and entering into FT Strategies, Tara, what have you been doing before? You are a consultant by heart. Can you tell us a bit uh, about your career journey and uh, uh, things that you believe might be interesting for our younger people out there listening to you today? Thank you, Virginia. I went to university and I then embarked on a career within an investment bank. I did a lot of strategy work and I was part of the investment management division um, with Goldman Sachs. Having spent about four and a half years, I wanted to do more. I wanted to do more problem solving. I wanted to do more strategy work across many sectors. I decided to go to business school because I thought that would be a great platform for me to learn a bit more about myself, invest in my human capital, as they say. And I don't think you can ever overinvest in yourself. So I always say to anyone who's thinking about doing a master's or even getting the first degree or doing a course even for a few weeks, that as long as you can see value in the mid or long term, it's probably worth that investment. Plus, I thought it was a great way to build my network more globally. So I went to business school in the US. And then as part of that, I learned more about consulting. And I thought that this is a great way to do what I wanted to do, which was do a lot more client work, but across many sectors. If I'm being completely honest, and I didn't say this in my interviews, 
I also wasn't entirely clear what I wanted to do. <laughs> that's great. And that's something that we really want to tackle as well, because so many of us are in that position where we, we find ourselves in some um, uh, journeys and paths, especially from an educational perspective, where you know this is going to open so many doors. But we just find it difficult what might be the right one that we exactly. embark into. And uh, how did you approach that? That kind of uncertainty and the feeling of like, I mean, a right, the right spot from a business education perspective. What's next? What was your process? What did you do? Spoke to as many people as possible. I mean, obviously, there are tons of things that you can read online and you can attend as many of those career symposiums and conferences and go to a website, etc. But there's nothing like really speaking to people who live and breathe the culture, the values. It can tell you all of the highs and the lows and the challenges and the intangibles, right? Like the politics. So I spoke to as many people as possible and not just in those more formal settings. So I would often go to those events, but then I would, for people who I kind of connected with at a deeper level, I would ask them for their business cards. I will offer to speak to them over coffee, just to really try and get beneath the top of the iceberg, right? To what is it really like? What is it like for someone like me as well? Because, you know, it's really important to me as a black woman who knew that I wanted to have a family at some point to really understand what it would mean for someone with a fairly unique background, with a very interesting accent um, to fit in, right? Do I have a chance of progressing and being offered opportunities to help me be yeah. successful? Why you said, um, because you brought this up, um, you, woman from a different background, yeah. wanted a family, etc., etc. Why you were thinking about this as blockers or were you thinking about this as uh, um, uh, an asset to bring a different perspective or both? Absolutely an asset. What I was trying to do is to make sure that I found an organization that also saw it as an asset. There are a number of things that I looked to. The first, fairly obvious, is how many people looked like me wearing the organization. How many examples of women, even men, who had dependents, who were of a particular minority group, which could be race, it could be religion, sexual orientation, etc., right? Who were in powerful positions. Because it's all well and good to try and get people at a junior level, but actually, are you creating systems and a culture that allows them to progress to the top? Exactly. That's usually yeah. the harder part, I think. So I just looked for examples and I spoke to those people as well. Um, I was very bold in asking questions of people who I met to say, you know, do you have anyone who might be willing to talk to me who might have an interesting perspective on what it's like to be a woman mm -hmm. at a senior level as well? Yeah what that pathway looks like, et cetera. Um, and thankfully, some of these organizations, usually some of the bigger ones, have quite established networks, right? So like a women's network and so on. So they could easily connect me to those groups. And then, so McKinsey, how long have you been there? I was at McKinsey for about eight years, almost a decade. And then Financial Times. Yeah. How 
did the did you approach the idea to work for a newspaper? Because I always think that after consulting, you get to actually meet and connect with a lot of industries. But media is not really, you know, the the cherry on the cake of deals that consulting, uh, especially McKinsey, does. Why media and why FT strategies? So I was thinking about leaving. And then I had this opportunity presented to me. And like you said, I had never, again, I didn't say this at the interview, honestly <laughs> thought about media as an option. I mean, I dabbled a bit in a few media projects, but it wasn't my area of specialty, if I'm being completely honest. And I kind of looked at the media industry as something that wasn't necessarily the most disruptive or innovative. It just felt very traditional. Yeah. And I spoke to a few people and... I was, I just was blown away. I had all of these preconceptions about what it would be like to work in media. And since then, I have completely transformed my understanding of the sector and grown in my respect. And I can talk a bit more about that. But to answer your question specifically, I think the pull for me was, it was a very rare and exciting opportunity to disrupts what is a traditional industry in consulting, actually, by starting this very unique consultancy that operated in a very different way. So harnessing the experience and the operational perspective of a company that has been through it before. It was also a unique, almost a juxtaposition, as you say, right, where we're working for this almost 140-year-old organization, institution even. But then it's a startup, right? I was really excited by, by the idea of building something new and exciting, of really transforming an industry that needed it as well. And that was, for me, probably one of the biggest pulls. It was that opportunity to support a very, very important part of our society which is one that I hadn't really come to appreciate until starting the role. Media as an industry is under enormous pressure. And across the world, we've worked across about 50 countries now. It has just been so incredible to see the role that many media organizations, news publishers, as an example, play in preserving that free and fair democratic society, right? Bringing truth to the public, holding power to account. In many cases, people are literally putting their lives on the line to do that. So to be able to, even in a small way, support that has been just so profound. And I think that's really what FT Strategies is all about, is helping and consulting any um, other media group, but as well, I think we can expand around that. It's based on an audience-first membership model. Um, idea of empowering rather than with only the product, that still content is gold, but audience-first because of digitalization, data, and so on. And if there is one specific thing that I really would love to um, get our audience understand a bit more about FT strategies is uh, rather than thinking with a competitive mindset, is like how we can collaborate to have a healthy system. Completely agree. 
And that's what really attracted me to the FT. I think one was those values. Many, in fact, almost every <laughs> company that you will hear from will say we are mission-led, values-driven, et cetera, et cetera. Again, you really have to try and go beneath the surface to test if that's the reality. And I found that in the FT, they really are passionate about supporting the industry and values of integrity, of empathy, et cetera, is infused in every single process or decision that's made. And that's what I think we represent. I think, you know, FT Strategy's mission is to help the clients that we work with to thrive. And in many cases, news publishers are trying to survive, right? They're trying to survive the disruption, the trends that we've been seeing and the implications for advertising, etc. And, you know, AI, I think, is going to really exacerbate that in many ways, both opportunities and risks. But what we do is we work with them to offer them the capabilities, the capacity and the confidence to go on that journey, a journey that the EFT went on from transforming itself into this more innovative, more sustainable business model, which is reader revenue um, and digitally enabled. So reader first, but still other revenue lines like advertising, etc., play a role in this diverse portfolio. So we work with them to really provide that expertise and the feedback that we get from clients is just phenomenal. And in many cases, these are clients who've worked with other more established consultancies who say, you know, they're great for certain things, but you guys have been so valuable because we are lacking that real world perspective. So yes, we can get the theory on a thousand pages, but there's nothing like actually having the lived experience of someone in data or someone in corporate development or someone in marketing, editorial, etc., who can actually tell us this is how you implement the theory. These are the challenges or the mistakes or the pitfalls or the risks. So that has been such a powerful part of what we do and a really meaningful part as well for the team because you get to be that human lens to what can sometimes be a very professional lens to consulting. So my question to you, Tara, you needed to build a company within a company. What did you do? What did you try to apply when you were looking for new people to join you? Like someone that uh, was uh, with a similar background to yours, completely different. How was it? I think it was quite difficult, isn't it? Yes, I'm sure you remember. It wasn't easy. <laughs> I did. I do. <laughs> it wasn't easy because I think an easier route would have been to just take as many of the people who applied. But we were very clear, and this for me was non-negotiable, that it had to be the right talent, had to be the right fit. So fundamentally what I and the entire team looks for is people who share our values, people who have the right skills, but more importantly, the right mindset and attitude. One of the great strengths of FT Strategies and DFT, but I can speak more confidently about my team, is it's a very diverse team and I'm so proud and protective of that. And I think, yes, there is a social 
reason and value to that, right? Just, you know, getting to work with people. We had a potluck event the other day and my goodness, the diversity of cuisine. You know, I like food, as I said, so I was on fire, energized. But then also, I think, quite frankly, as a professional, it's so important that we are able to reflect the communities that we operate in. And also, I do think diversity of thoughts, diversity of background, experience, etc., breeds creativity. It enhances problem solving. It facilitates, it facilitates teamwork. Thank you so much, Tara. I loved this. And now the special part of our podcast is getting two bright people out there, Tom and Stephanie, to ask you some questions. How are you guys? Very good, thank you. Yeah? It's a great day, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> super. So tell us a bit about you, Tom. Where are you from? What are you doing at UCL? Uh, so I'm consulting director at 180 Degrees Consulting uh, at UCL, where I'm also studying European Social and Political Studies in a dual degree between UCL and Sciences Po. All right. Uh, and I'm in my third year going on to my fourth year. Super. What about you, Stephanie? So I'm a second year student at UCL studying BSc Economics. I'm also one of the consulting directors at 180 Degrees Consulting with Tom. And I am from the... Philippines and came over here for university. All right. Okay. So, guys, it seems a perfect fit for someone with your passion for consulting to be asking questions to Tara. So, Tom, what's your question? So, many students are, and young people in general are concerned with issues such as climate change, environmental devastation. What advice would you have for consultants who may be faced with a morally problematic client? And what advice in general would you have for students who want to do consulting but also want to do good for this planet it is a real question that many consultants face what I encourage my teams to do even though we thankfully haven't been in those positions um, is to be open even at the outset as uh, some of you might know in consulting You usually go through a staffing process. So there are projects that you might be able to choose from. And there's usually a process where the resourcing manager will inform the decision on what projects a particular consultant works on based on client needs, the individual's interest, career goals, and so on. And what I always try and encourage people to do is to be very explicit around your values as well. You know, just so you know, I feel passionately about this climate change or this, so I will have a very difficult time serving a client in this industry or with a record or a history of whatever it might be. Um, so I think also if you are in that position where you are trying to decide between consultancies, these are the sorts of questions that I think you should ask. So I referenced earlier how for me diversity and inclusion was really important. I think, again, saying, you know, what are your commitments to climate change? What's your firm actively doing? And then speaking to people, looking, there's so much information online now to truly try and understand if what they say matches the reality. Um, and I think your question around, you know, what advice for consultants who want to make that positive difference? Thankfully, there are 
growing, there is a growing number of consultancies that want to operate in these, if you will, social sector spaces. So I would absolutely look at them as a place where you could work and you are likely to actually do a lot of work on a particular topic that you care about, as opposed to perhaps more of a full service consultancy where they might have a practice, which might have a couple of projects every year, but then probably means that you have to do other projects in between that you are less passionate about. So I think if you can actually work for a company whose mission aligns with your personal goals, great. But at a minimum, and I know that's not always the case because, you know, there aren't just enough of those types of companies. I think just thinking individually about how you could contribute. So, for example, we focus on media. But one of the things that we're really passionate about as a team is giving back to the community. So what the FT supports is two to three days a year where you can take that out. It's paid for and you can do something charitable. So as a team, we will decide a particular initiative that we want to support and then we'd work together on that. So this is just one suggestion that someone from the team recommended. Um, and there are other little things, right, from how we think about our carbon footprint with do we always have to travel to the client site? Actually, that's not really healthy for the planet. So how can we cut back and be a bit more efficient? So all to say, be very explicit about what you care about and stay true to that where possible. I know it's not always easy if you're trying to find a job, trying to make money. Um, so I really don't want to preach that sort of moral high ground, um, but where you can be open, join a firm that shares in those values and try and find little opportunities to support that. Thank you. You're welcome. Stephanie. So I have a slightly different question. So on the topic of entrepreneurship, I think that one of the major barriers today is still access to finance. Um, and especially for those from underprivileged backgrounds who may not have much knowledge on that subject or may not have the connections and networks necessary for that certain um, startup finance, what advice would you give to people in that situation? Another, another interesting question. I, um, I started my first startup on my maternity leave which, again, is something I wouldn't recommend. <laughs> I had three young children and I was trying to build a business. Suffice it to say, it wasn't the unicorn that I was hoping it would be. Um, but one of the things that it opened my eyes to was the level of inequality in the startup world as well, which wasn't something that I had really been exposed to. So you're absolutely right. There are so many data points around how little investment female founders get relative to male founders. And you can go on and on across different dimensions. The good thing is, I think there is increasing awareness. Um, I remember working on a project with the CEO of NatWest Bank, and it was one of the things that she was very passionate about. And she wanted to deploy the capabilities of NatWest towards supporting, so investment and mentoring. So there is increasing awareness, which is translating to additional supports. Still nowhere near, I think, it should be at, but we are moving in the right direction. So my advice would be do your research, try and find those 
pockets of opportunity and support. So there are pockets, whether it's with established companies in tech, in finance in particular, as well as other actors in the industry. So there are some specific VCs that you may have heard of who are all about a particular investment thesis with female founders. So I try and find those and it's additional work. But when you do find them, it then opens up funding, advice, networks that are all about trying to help those founders who might be at a disadvantage, sadly, because of their gender or group or whatever it might be. Thank you, Tom. Thank you, Stephanie. But above all, thank you so much, Tara, for being so open and so transparent about your journey and your decision-making processes and all the amazing uh, as well insights that you shared from a cultural perspective. I think this is what we are here for. So, Tara, thank you so much for your time. Thanks to our listeners and up for our next episode next week about investigative journalism, uh, law firms. So just double-check our talent show on Spotify or wherever you're getting your podcast. Thank you. This has been The Talent Show, which is produced by the FT Talent Team, Aya Al-Shihabi, and me, Virginia Stani. Our podcast producer, editor, and sound engineer is Arturo Ochoa, and our social media producer is Letizia Clementi. Our music is by Dennis Kishuk. Check out all of the Talent Show episodes at fttalent.ft.com, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and follow FT Talent on socials for updates. Until next time, and keep listening. Keep listening.